Hey, I'm Ruben from Dub. Welcome to Connection Loop, our actionable podcast about building businesses with daily human connections. Connection Loop features long form interviews with fascinating people in sales, marketing, and beyond. Enjoy today's episode and learn more about Dub at dub.com. All right, cool. And we are live. What's up, guys? This is Ruben Dua from Dub's podcast, Connection Loop. And today I have Jamie Cohen. Uh, Jamie, I'm psyched to talk about a couple of specific things. I used to be terrified of public speaking. Uh, It was like the scariest thing on the planet for me. So I'd love to get some some tricks for you to kind of understand what those inner sort of fears that I was potentially dealing with. And then also maybe share some other insight about um, your evolution and your origin story and how you got to where you are. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me yeah. on the show. I'm, I'm really excited to be finally having this conversation. Um, yeah, so I, I am the founder of The Right Words. I help you level up your communication skills so that you are well-equipped to connect more deeply during any interaction, which basically means I'm helping you build stronger relationships. Mm-hmm. I'm helping you learn how to negotiate and to deal with conflict. So no matter what environment in, you're in, you're able to take accountability for yourself and navigate that successfully. So I, I work with a lot of different people when it comes to fear of public speaking or um, fear of being on camera and all of these things. Well, we'll say we'll say video for just a minute. But with public spe- speaking, everyone is always afraid of being judged. We uh. have this we have this feeling that we we get on stage and what if we forget everything and then someone's going to laugh at us and we had our we had our script perfectly memorized and now we can't remember a thing and we're going to look stupid and i i've always been a performer but there were definitely times where i didn't feel um 100% comfortable on stage so i started doing this thing when i was a little kid because i've been performing since i was a kid where i would just pretend that i was a character Mm. And I would just, I, and it was, it's sort of like a a meta thing because I wasn't being someone else. I was still using my personality and everyone's personality is multifaceted. So I would just choose a part of my personality and I'd say, okay, this is the character I am. And because it's not me, even though it is, but just my mindset, because it's not me, nothing bad can happen. This character is is like, this is like method acting, isn't it? Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're you're preparing yourself, but the thing the thing that's different is that instead of spending time in an environment pretending to be someone else, you're just getting connected more deeply to yourself mm. and to so your personality you have a standard personality but there are different I mean it's multifaceted. So the the energy that you bring in different environments might be a little bit different. So when I would go onto stage I would say, "Okay, well this character is going to go up there and do what she does best and nothing bad can happen because no one knows what I have planned. I mean, they have a general idea, but I could do something totally different than what I had in mind and no one would know otherwise. So, but the biggest thing is a lot of people feel like they need to memorize everything they're going to say. Yes. And in some situations like a TED talk, you really do have to because you have such a, I mean, to a point, you have a restricted amount of time, you have, there's a sort of cadence that they're looking for. But in a general sense, the best, the best way to give a really strong presentation, and to sort of eschew all those fears of public speaking 
is to not rely on slides and to not have a bunch of information on them. If, if you have a few slides, they should be triggers for you. So the way that you can feel most confident is to just have stories prepared. So you're going, you're going to be giving this presentation, talking about something, but just have different stories prepared. So you're starting off with this topic, you have a story for that. You're moving on to the next topic, you have a story for that. And something, so I used to do um, a lot of comedy and acting and something that they taught us to do was when you were getting to, if you had a really long monologue or you had a really long, um, your lines were just longer than they normally are, they would say, you should have a gesture that when you're getting to a certain part of what you're going to say, because that will, that will, uh, will um, help that memory to come out and then ah. you'll be able to remember. So it just, it evokes a feeling because you're making a motion and then you're able to remember what it is you were going to say. So it's almost like a physical mnemonic device that's used as a, as a trigger for mm -hmm. rhetoric that you want to share. That's, that's really interesting. Exactly. That's I a perfect way to before. describe it. That's yeah, a perfect that's... way to describe it. And that's what I really, that's what I always say when, when, whenever anyone's giving any sort of presentation, whether it's in front of a thousand people, whether it's in front of class, have triggers, mm. have, have different things, whether those are these physical mnemonic devices or slides that have a bullet or two, or even no words, they just have a picture and have that be a trigger to remind you of the story you're going to tell. You know, mnemonic devices are, are, such a part of my daily flow as I as I meet people. I mean, this morning I, I had a, a JKD, a Ajit Kundo. This is martial arts. This is Bruce Lee's martial arts training. In this class, the person that I partnered up with, his name was Clay. So I had met them for the first time, and and uh, you know, I said, "Hey, what's your name?" He said, "Clay." And instantly, right when he said that, I just pictured a block of clay. <laughs> Yeah. And, I, and I, it's just become a part of, of, of what I do when I meet people because I don't want to forget things. I don't, do I have a good memory? I, I don't know. But yeah. this is this is one of my tricks. I really like that that uh, that idea of like a physical trigger. That's interesting. And that's a great mnemonic device. That's actually I think it was I learned that from Jim Quick um, about creating imagery in your mind to remember names. So, for instance, if you meet someone, if I met someone named Courtney, I would think of a tennis court. And then yes. someone skinning their knee on the court. Yes. And then I have that I have that story in my mind. So then when I see her, I'm like, oh right, someone skinned their knee on the court. That's Courtney. <laughs> That's great. That's so good. So um, you mentioned comedy. You mentioned, I guess, stand up, right? So I did stand up, but I did a lot of improv and sketch as well. Ah. So the improv was the main focus, and then I also did um, stand up and sketch. So is this like um, Groundlings? Is that, is, have you heard of that? or? I have. So I was in Chicago. So I did, I took some courses at um, Second City and then also studied at Improv Olympic and then had an improv team called the Lungers. And we would go around and have, we would, we would um, perform at different locations around Chicago. And then for, as far as stand up went, um, I basically at any party I was at would just tell stories and that would basically, I mean, that's what stand up is, is telling stories that, um, you know, evoke a happy emotion and make people laugh. And the funniest thing, and I, I always say that everyone should try improv because it's preparing you totally for agree. anything. Totally I agree. 
like is improv my favorite way to perform comedy? Definitely not. But something that I do love about it is it prepares you for any situation. So I, what I really love is having a structure. So having some general rules, some boundaries, and this is actually something that I use um, in the way that I teach, um, but it's having boundaries and then being able to bend the rules. So you have this basic thing, you know, you go, you know that you're going to do, and then you add on to it as you see fit. But the really cool thing about telling stories is that you always have this part of the story that you think is going to just kill you. It's the punchline. You think everyone's going to crack up, but usually the part that people laugh at the hardest is the part that you didn't expect at all. It's not funny to you. There's no comedy in it. And then people are just cracking up. They're dying. And you're thinking, well, I don't, I don't understand, but <laughs> that that's, that's the beauty right. of practicing and, and telling your story in different ways to different types of people. And that's something that you can apply right back to public speaking. You know, I totally agree with you. I had the really fortunate experience of actually uh, doing uh, live stand-up, which was all improv. And it was something I just opted into. It was an open mic night. It was cool. Um, it's it's not, nothing special. But I kind of realized, I think someone had told me uh, a long time ago in my life that, listen, if you really want to work on your public speaking, being confident, being able to speak off the cuff, um, you need to go into put yourself into uncomfortable situations, right? And of course, as an experienced comic or someone that's doing improv, it's not uncomfortable because you have a practice. It's a muscle that you've created. But as a newbie, uh, being put in that situation, it, it made me realize how important it was to focus on the storytelling, to focus on the human aspect of it. And then it really didn't matter to a certain extent of what you were saying. It was how you were saying it. Mm -hmm. And the last thing you could do is to memorize your whole bit because you'll probably end up failing because there's no humanization in that. You know, um, you mentioned TED Talks earlier. And, you know, I think what's interesting about TED Talks is that as we watch them, it looks like everything is perfect. The person is so articulate. It's a cogent 15, 20 minute um, dialogue. Um, there is so much recording and practicing and training and rehearsals that go into those specific types of videos. Those are not mm -hmm. ad hoc by any stretch. So I think it's right. important that people know that when people watch those videos, that those are, are rehearsed um, pieces of video. Those aren't yes. improv per se. So, Right. Yes. Those are rehearsed incessantly to the point where you could basically recite in your sleep. But the thing is, is that there's different ways is there are different ways to deliver information and you just have to decide which way is going to be most effective for you and also environment by environment, which way is going to be most effective for the audience that you're speaking to. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So what would you say your kind of catalyst or your origin story was for for your business? What what did you go through in your life? It's, it's really interesting. The, the way that I was able to build my business is through LinkedIn. But just to rewind a little bit, what I do now, I've been doing my entire life. And I just always thought that I was a good friend and that I just, I've been through a lot. So I was able to give really good advice. But um, I, I mean, there are just a ton of things that happened to me throughout my life. I always say that I had the best education you could possibly have, it was just an extremely painful one. So when a lot of people, when, when people meet me and they say, oh, you're a communication coach, have you, have you read this book? Did you, do you follow this practice? Do you follow these guidelines? And really all of my experience, well, I do a lot of reading, 
all, all of my methods come from my personal experience. Um, and it's, I, so I have memories from before I was one years old, which is wow. pretty rare. Wow. Um, I, I started speaking really early. I started reading at three years old, four years old. And, um, you know, there was, there was a lot going on. I moved around quite a bit in the first five, six years of my life. So I moved from the East coast to, so in, from New Jersey to Georgia, like the deep South, like deep Georgia, um, to Iowa. And so I, my accent, my dialect, all these things were constantly changing and the way that people were interacting was different. So it was, it was pretty stressful when I, I moved to Georgia. It was great because I, you know, I went to a private school and the focus there was learning. And that's one of the reasons why I was able to really soar with my reading skills. By the time I was in kindergarten, I was reading at high school level because of this incredible school. It's called George. One of, well, there was two that I went to, but I believe it's called George Walton Academy. And, um, it, it was very interesting to then move to Iowa where my peers were learning their ABCs. And so I, of course, high school level content, I wouldn't have understood it as a high school level or a high school aged kid would, but I was able to understand all of the words and enjoy the story. Just obviously, like if you're a kid and you watch a movie, you don't have the same experience as an adult who watches a movie. Mm. Um, but when, when I moved to Iowa, I, all of these kids were at a totally different level than I was. So then I felt I was standing out. I had a funny accent to them. I dressed differently and I was Jewish. And uh, most of them had either never met someone who was Jewish or they had, and they didn't like them. So it was a very, like a very anti-Semitic area. Luckily it's changed significantly, but I remember coming into school like the first week of school and having kids come up to me and tell me that I killed Christ. Oh my goodness. And I said, well, that's incorrect because if you are familiar with history, you would understand that this and this and this happened. And also I wasn't alive all those years ago. So no, I did not kill Christ, but then they would just mock me. And this mm. went on like all through, all through elementary school. Um, and then I, there, there were just, it was just sort of like one thing after another. Um, I, I, also... I would have I probably said like, uh, well, I definitely did not do that, but whoever did emancipated him <laughs> and you would not be talking about, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, granted I was five years old, so yeah. there was, you That's know, a tough, limited... no, no, kid should have, <laughs> no kid should have to deal with that. <laughs> so I, I just spent, I had to do a ton of soul searching because I spent all this time going through all these changes and starting to like hate who I was because I, everyone was blonde and tall and, and thin and had like little noses and people would tell me that I was ugly and had a big nose and just all of these different things that are relevant now, but are really hard as a kid. And, um, then when I went into middle school, my, my, uh, sixth grade year, all of my grandparents and all of my pets died within a couple of months, a couple of months of each other. Um, and so then 
And then just shortly after that, I got diagnosed with an autoimmune disease. So just all of these things happening at once and it, it was very hard to deal with. So then I developed severe anxiety and I was pretty depressed and I was just incessantly picked on at school. Kids, I had to, I had to um, carry a rolling backpack because I was crippling. My, my hands started changing and I had a limp and all these different things. And so I had to carry this rolling backpack so I wouldn't injure my neck. Um, and people would say, where are you going? Going on vacation? And, uh, and so, it, I mean, it, it was really hard. Plus I was different. I thought differently than a lot of people. And so I, I had to learn how to act in this environment. So I said, okay, I'm not going to change who I am, but clearly the way I'm interacting with these kids is not working. So what I did is I just watched what the popular kids were doing. Like, how were they interacting with one another? What did successful communication look like for them? And that that's something that I just built upon. And so by the time I got to um, high school, I was still, you know, relatively anxious and shy, but there was a summer that I went to summer camp and it was a Jewish summer camp and everyone liked me and I made a bunch of friends and every day was incredible and it was such a juxtaposition from what I had experienced my entire life and mm. so suddenly people were telling instead of telling me how ugly I was and how stupid I was and all these different things they were telling me how great I was and how much they liked spending time with me and all the things that they liked about me so when I came back to school I had this renewed sense of self and started having a lot more success and so the after going through all of those things, I never wanted anyone else to experience the sort of things that I went through. So I would always, I had a lot of vicarious experience too. So if any of my friends were going through something, I'd ask them to talk me through it and say like, did this happen? Did this happen? What did, how did you respond? How did they respond? And then eventually I just developed all of these skills um, about how to, how to deal with these particular situations. And um, something that I did to make sure that I really understood every situation is anytime something was extremely awkward, I would try to push it as far as it would, could go. So this is uncomfortable. Let's see how uncomfortable we can make it. And then what happens? Ah, so that way, no matter so sort of leaning, leaning into the conflict a little bit. Yes. Rather than running away from it, just leaning into it really, really hard. So that way, no matter what happened, I was, I would be relatively prepared for it. And um, it was really interesting. I wish I wish I would have taken down the data, but I did a ton of research in college on um, like psychology and sociology. And it basically would have been like a PhD by now, but I would just, I would test different things regarding human interaction. So there was this the particular thing I would do where I would go up to random guys on campus and start talking to them and saying like, oh my gosh, this weekend was so fun. Do you remember when this and this and this happened? I can't believe it. And I would just see how far I could go before they would say, oh my gosh, that was so ridiculous. Or, <laughs> they would say, oh, sorry, I, I'm so sorry. I don't remember who you are. And nine times out of 10, they would go along with it. Oh yeah. So that which was which was so interesting because it's like no one not only do they not want to be embarrassed 
there's also this compassion that we all have where you don't want to embarrass the other person. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so I just I did a lot of testing like this throughout my life. And um, also, I learned a few languages and I love language and culture. So I became very familiar with just the way that different types of cultures interact, the way the way that people who speak different languages interact. And I was able to take all of this trauma that I went through and all of that that I described. I mean, that's just the very tip of the iceberg, but you can get a good idea from that about, you know, the sort of things that I encountered. Um, but I, that my plan wasn't to go into communication. I had like three majors and a certificate in college. And I thought I was going to go to medical school and I've had a bunch of different careers. I was a Spanish interpreter. I was a competitive salsa dancer. I was in comedy. I was in marketing and business development and all these different things. And, but it, I, I never was really getting the fulfillment that I was looking for. Well, I mean, these and, are, those are, those are things that take uh, an enormous amount of discipline and skill. I mean, interpreting another language, Spanish, that's a big deal. I, I studied Spanish when I lived in Spain. That's, I know exactly mm -hmm. what you're talking about. That's a big deal. You know, competitive salsa dancing, that takes years and years and years to practice. You have a certain drive, a certain motivation, something that pushes you forward. Would you say that the trauma that you went through as, as a child was, was kind of key in, 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 your, in your motivation? Or what, where, where do you think that comes from? I think that that's just something that is one of my inherent characteristics mm. um, because, I mean, I have ADD. And one of the features of ADD is having a lot of a lot of interest, but also having special interests where you really dive into things. So I used to have this rule for myself that every three months I had to learn something new. So at one point, and I don't ask me now because I don't remember everything I knew, every country, every capital, all of the currency, all of the languages. And that was just something like, I'm interested in this. I'm going to learn all those sorts of things. And then wow. all of my, yeah. And so it was just, I just, I've always had a drive to know everything because I want to understand, I, I love people and I, I've always wanted to understand people better. What are their motivations? Why do they act the way that they do? Why do they think the way they think and, and how do they think? And so the more that I learned, the more people I was able to relate with because I was mm -hmm. doing things they were doing and everything that I learned, it, it just gave me more, um, it just increased my passion for learning. And so I think that, that the trauma that I went through isn't necessarily a driver, but just another chapter in the story. And part of my education that uh, led me to where I am now. And I think that maybe in a sense, I had, I had a desire to not ever be in those situations again. So the more that I learned, the more I could guarantee that those environments wouldn't be something I'd experience ever again, or I'd have the support that I needed if I ever came into contact with something like that. And I think the thing there, there are a few things that happen when you deal with trauma. Some people 
become the victors and some people become the victims. And I think for a long time, even though I was very passionate about not allowing people to victimize themselves, I think subconsciously I was victimizing myself. I said, well, I have these disabilities, so this is the extent to which I can do these particular things. But then I got to a point where I said, well, no, what if I just push the envelope? What if I see how far I can go? And every single time I did that, the result wasn't perfect, but I always achieved the goal. Right. Right. That makes sense. So I think that a lot of people who are put in these horrible positions, everyone has a different mental status, mental health status, but there gets, you get to a certain point where you get to decide how am I going to react to what's going on around me? I can't. So for me, it was, I can't control anything that's going on around me in any environment. So what, what can I do? And that was to just believe it would get better, believe in myself or just believe that I would do something to supersede this pain I was going through. Because a lot of kids that get bullied or a lot of people that go through trauma, they say it gets better. Mm. But for me, it didn't for a really, really long time. And so I've been very passionate about removing that phrase from the sort of supportive lexicon because it's not helpful to a kid who's suicidal. It's not helpful to a kid who's getting bullied constantly or is dealing with mental illness at home or is has some sort of physical disability or just no matter what they do in their life, they're just getting it from all angles. Saying it gets better, that's not actionable advice. And so I've been, that's something that I use specifically in everything that I do. So of course I want to inspire the people around me and but I always make sure that with that inspiration am I providing them guidelines. Yeah. I mean it's so interesting, you know, when you talk about uh, trauma, trials, tribulations that we face in our lives, young or old, at the other side of that is is evolution, it's progress, it's learning. Assuming that you made it out alive. <laughs> yes. There's there's hopefully probably something positive on the other end of it. Now it's really hard to see that, to communicate that, to share that when you or someone is going through that, because I mean, it's a tremendous amount of myopia that we suffer from in that situation. But that, that idea of, of faith or hope, you know, and that optimism to know that I'm evolving and I'm, I'm taking on this challenge and it's going to make me a better person. Um, that single realization, I think, is a, a really important one. But the fact of the matter is that we we typically see it uh, post mortem, and and that's just how it is, and that's and that's okay. But um, thank you for sharing that. That was really interesting. Absolutely. Yeah. So you mentioned the story, uh, certain chapters in the story. So what are future chapters for you? What is what is your big vision? What do you want to accomplish? What is it that you want to do in your career and on your purpose to help people? That, just like my personality, is very multifaceted. There are so many different things that I want to do and that I want to help people with. But the the number the number one thing, the primary focus is just helping everyone in any stage of life communicate more effectively. And this can be communicating their emotions or communicating something that has happened to them. And being able to use their words and their voice 
to get to where they want to go when they don't have anyone supporting them. Because that, your story is what allows you to move into into and out of environments that you never thought you'd be able to get out of or you never thought that you'd ha- you would have access to. So mm. there's there's a bunch of different programming I'm working on. Um, but eventually I think I would love to, I would love to have an institute that starts from, um, you know, kindergarten all the way through corporate experience about how to communicate in these different situations so that people are prepared because the only way that we can resolve conflict is to learn how to communicate in a way that people can understand. Because conflict arises from lack of context and also using language that another person doesn't understand. So, for instance, I always say, if you're telling, if you're an amazing storyteller and you are an expert in a particular thing and there's no one who's more talented than you are and you're giving a talk to an audience and you're speaking in Spanish, but they speak Mandarin they're not going to understand you and they're not stupid. They just don't speak Spanish. Mm -hmm. So what can you, so that's more metaphorical, but if you just pull that back into what sort of language does your resonates with your audience, what, what do they understand? Spending more time researching people around you, spending more time having compassion and communicating in a way that is empathetic rather than focusing on what do what do I want versus what can I say that's going to make this person, this audience feel supported so mm-hmm. that we can build a relationship because a relationship is what's sustainable. Convincing someone of something that's transactional. Yes. <laughs> and it's, and it's very goal and sometimes event-based or results-based. So I, I agree with that. Uh, so yeah, I, I have sort of made it my mission to, to assist people in, in their journeys through communication and through storytelling, really. I mean, one of the things that I loved about your that sort of main graphic that you have um, is that you are number one. Your first resource is storytelling, you know, for for people that are interested. And I thought that that was really interesting because we need more of that in in the business world, but but also society. You know, understanding how to hear stories, how to listen to story, but then also how to share those stories, you know, real authentic stories about our lives to improve. And because at the end of the day, that's, that's what the vast majority of communication is. It's storytelling, you know, ever since until you go back, you know, the earliest form of communication, visual or, uh, you know, audible, even cave paintings, hieroglyphics, it was storytelling. So, um, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm on a mission personally to, to really empower people to, to activate their storytelling skills and to stop reading slides <laughs> and to yes. tell us their, their, their authentic stories and to go deep and to become vulnerable and to share their stories about their childhood and what they went through, very similar to, to what you did. And, and, and that's just really, a, I think, an inspiration. So I think that anyone's listening, you know, I, I just en- encourage them to check your content out, uh, go to your website, um, give, us, give us a little bit of information on how folks can, can find you. Sure. So we... The best way to get in contact with me is on LinkedIn, and we didn't get too much time to talk about that, but that's where my whole business came together, telling stories in that environment. Um, But you can find me on LinkedIn at linkedin.com slash in slash Jamie, spelled like Jaime, dash Cohen. So J-A-I-M-E dash C-O-H-E-N. 
Um, you can also connect with me on all social media at Jane Balaya, which is J-A-I-M-B-A-L-A-Y-A. And I'll give all of this to Ruben, so that'll be in the show notes. Yeah. Um, but I, I highly recommend that people start telling their story and telling it on LinkedIn. And even we, we were talking about how important it is to talk about the trauma that we've been through and to talk about our trials and tribulations. But we don't, we can be as detailed as we want to be. You don't have to talk about horrible, horrible things that happen to you to provide value to the people who are listening. You can have sort of steps that you focus like this happened to me. I did this. I did this other thing. And here are some, some steps. If you were in that situation that you can use to get to where I am now and using LinkedIn as that platform is incredible because it's one of the only places where people are more supportive, like largely supportive. There are a few trolls, no matter where you go, there are going to be trolls, but they're, they are few and far between on LinkedIn. And when they do come about, there are people there who will support you. And that's actually how I built my whole business is that when LinkedIn started changing in 2017, and people were telling stories. So I started talking about things I was interested in and people started responding to that. And the more people started responding, the more I started creating content around those things that people were interested in, which led me to realize that what I'm doing now is something that I could do for a living. Because often, and people say this all the time, but for me, it was a really intangible that the thing that you are the thing that comes easiest to you is your superpower. Oh yeah. And we all think we all think that we have this special thing that we can do and we, everyone can do that. It's not really that special. But that's because it's something that comes natural to us or that we've spent so much time perfecting that we could do it in our sleep, but that doesn't mean that everyone that surrounds us has that education or has that experience and being able to write that out and share that story and engage with a community allows you to really hone in on those specific skills and the parts of your story that are going to be most relevant to an audience. Because like you said, storytelling is everything. If you give someone a bunch of information versus telling a story that has that information in it, they, I think there's a 33% increase in retention when you tell a story, maybe oh, even yeah. more than that. Oh yeah, I'm a firm because believer. There is there is a pathway yeah. versus just random information being able you don't when you can't connect those things together. How do you organize it in your mind? You know, I, and what I what I really love about kind of general storytelling is just access to the inner child. You know, I think about this a lot, which sounds a little abstract and maybe esoteric. But, you know, my, my definition of, of genius is the ability to um, leverage and basically take control over the, the, the childlike mind as an adult. <laughs> that's my, that's my definition. And the reason why I say that is because, you know, when children share stories, I have a six year old and a 15 month old, when they share stories, um, they are free of so many things that we as adults suffer from like judgment, like, um, you know, premonition or, any type of speculation, you know, fear, these really kind of debilitating things that, that prevent us from doing what I think should be very natural storytelling, you know? Mm -hmm. So when I start to see people that share their stories and are accessing that vulnerability and that 
innocence to a certain extent, um, it makes me connect with them. And if that's in a business capacity, um, the sky's the limit in terms of what the potential is, what the possibilities are with that business relationships, working together, transactional, non-transactional, whatever. Um, I think about this a lot and I sense a lot that from, from you, which is I think why I become more of a fan as I listen to you in this podcast here. Thank you. And I, I love, I love that you brought up the connecting with your inner child because children don't, like you said, they don't have the constraints that we have upon Mm. us. So they will tell you every single detail in a story but something that we need to learn as we get older is to still have that childlike wonder when we're telling a story, but start to understand which details are important to me mm. and which details are important to the story. Because when something is very near and dear to us, every single detail is important. Because if we, we feel if we leave something out, then there's going to be a disconnect to this other thing. But if you try to look at yourself and your story objectively, You'll have a better understanding of what do you actually need? What are people going to be most interested in so that this story resonates deeply with them and it's something that they remember and it's something that they can learn from. So it's it's taking, I mean, and not every story we have is going to be like this, but it's taking the esoteric and making it accessible to the layman because anything that is personal to us anything that's our experience still has to be translated and interpreted in a way that the other person that we're speaking to is going to be able to access it well i mean what's really interesting about that is you know as you you mentioned earlier your kind of path to your purpose to your career to your calling you know you had this great realization that you had a superpower frankly and that you could you could help people in their communication and public speaking and i think what's really interesting is that you know, as 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 young people, as as children, sometimes um, there's this idea that I can be whatever I want to be. My six year old wants to be a paleontologist. Okay, that's and, great. Yeah, and it's and it's amazing, right? Um, and that's totally possible. But what's really interesting is that as we mature, as we progress, as we go through life, and we get our degrees or not get our degrees, get our jobs, get hired, get fired, whatever that whatever the heck happens, is we start to somehow learn about what success should be, what mm-hmm. career paths should be. I need to be a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer or investment banker. I need to be those things in order to be successful. You know, some of us do at least. And then other folks kind of realize, well, listen, the world needs a, a better way to have a better door hinge. You know, I'm going to become the best door hinge maker on the planet. You know, and that idea of staying innocent, staying vulnerable and knowing that it's all important. It's all good. There's an audience for for everything, really. Mm -hmm. You know, knowing that I think is is really empowering. And then what I always add as kind of an additional flavor to this, if if possible, is to to document the process on that journey, on that path, because even if you fail, at least you learn in the process and then you made connections on the way. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so where, uh, where else, uh, any public speaking, any events that we should know about? I know that you had something in San Diego in late December. Yes. Yeah, so I, um, had a course come out with LinkedIn learning and it's called using video to connect with your, or connecting with your audience using video. So it Ooh, teaches you. Now you're, now you're talking about language. Amazing. <laughs> yes. 
So it teaches you how to get comfortable and confident on camera and also um, how to use video to connect more deeply with your audience. It focuses mainly on LinkedIn video, but yeah. also um, just video in general. I'm also going to be part of uh, the digital marketing digital marketing summit um, in, I believe it starts January 27th. Um, and there are, I believe there are over 50 speakers, experts, influencers, thought leaders talking about everything from video to SEO, to analytics, to design. And it's, it, there's going to be just a ton of information tickets are free. Um, and I can give you that link after the show here. Um, and then there's also, you can also get a VIP pass so that you have continued access to these recordings. And then you get, you get like booklets from each speaker with um, some information that they teach and there's giveaways and all these really interesting things. So I highly recommend um, checking that out. And uh, yeah, that's what, that's what I have going on so far. Very so far cool. In and 2020. Love it. And then you mentioned that, um, you know, you've sort of, uh, built your career and your business really on LinkedIn. And I think it's it's amazing that you have, um, you know, a LinkedIn learning, a, a piece of content or at least a series that's coming out. That's really exciting. I'd love to learn more about that. Please share the link. Um, but tell me about how you've leveraged LinkedIn. One of the reasons why I ask is because uh, we've spent, as a technology company, we've spent a lot of time understanding um, communication on LinkedIn. I mean, we have part of Dub is there's a Chrome extension, which has a direct integration with LinkedIn. And it allows you to send personalized videos to people through LinkedIn, through messaging, through recruiter, through sales navigator, through comments, and that you can make those videos actionable. So you can add calls to action and calendar bookings and things like this. So, you know, we've had thousands. Yeah, we've had thousands of people that have had a lot of success with that. Um, but but I'm always looking to learn more. So I'd love to learn about kind of your take um, on this beautiful platform, LinkedIn. Absolutely. So there, there's ba there is a science to it, which is wonderful, but it's, it's all about connecting with people. So LinkedIn is teaching us how to reconnect with one another because we're more, we're more connected digitally than we've ever been in history. But because of that, we're more disconnected than ever people find it more difficult to have conversations, to pick up the phone and talk to someone, to go to networking events. And this is giving us the opportunity to learn those skills again. And so there are a lot of different ways that you can have success using LinkedIn. And I always, I highly recommend uh, Judy Fox's LinkedIn Business Accelerator. She teaches you all of the ins and outs of how to really make LinkedIn work for you. Um, but you want to give people a reason to listen to you. Mm -hmm. So it's not just about telling a story. It's about telling a story and using a storyline that people can follow. So you don't want to constantly just talk about business, business, business. Selling should be done on your LinkedIn profile page and the storytelling and the connecting should be done through your content. So I started talking about different things I was interested in. And then when video came out, I took that to the next level, but also would would just pepper in different things that had happened to me. So I I had a video about my two my two most popular videos were 
One where I was talking about dealing with chronic illness and how we don't all overcome our obstacles. And that, that brought in the biggest lead that I've ever had. And this person wasn't following me. They weren't connected with me. They, I mean, I guess they were following me, but they weren't physically following me. So they hadn't pressed the follow button. So you just, you never know who's watching, which is why it's so important to be creating content. The second video was about the power of words. And it was talking about um, what happened when I lost my mom and how different and how the words that you use can be life and death in certain situations. Right. And that was an important conversation to me, but not just for me, but for my community. So it, it was something that, um, that was really personal, but also, again, I wasn't divulging my deepest, darkest secrets. I was just talking about trauma that I'd been through and then applying it to other people. So telling the story, this thing that happened to me and then saying, why is this important to you? What can you learn from this situation? So in the story about my mom, think, talking about, think about how you're saying what you say and the words that you use, because you can say something that means nothing to you, but means everything to the person that you're speaking with. And so really, if you want to start getting active on LinkedIn and you're not ready to create content, I always recommend that people start getting active in the comments. So you can type a hashtag of something you're interested in into the search bar on LinkedIn, and it'll bring up a lot of different people who are talking about that subject. So you can start getting active in their comments and responding to their posts. So if they are talking about a particular subject and that resonates with you, add to the conversation. The more you show up, the more people will get to know you. And the more people that get to know you, the more that they'll like you. So that way, when you're ready, so that's the whole idea of like, no trust. Um, when you're ready to create your own content, you'll have this community that's waiting to hear about what you have to say. So it's sort of like a stepwise format that you can have. So start commenting, add value to the people with whom you're connecting and, and, com- and whose posts you're commenting on. You can answer other questions. So if someone if there are a lot of comments on a particular post and you don't necessarily have something to say, you can look through the comments and see if anything that anyone else said resonates with you and then respond to them and just keep showing up every single day until you get to a point where you're connected with all of these people and they, they love your comments and they're interested in what you are going to be talking about and what you have to say. And they'll you probably even start asking, like, when are you going to start posting? We want, we want to, we've heard all of these amazing things you have to say in the, in the comments. We want to hear your content specifically. Yeah. I mean, what we tell people to do is, um, is to, with the Adobe Chrome extension, we tell people that in the comments, you can actually add a video with the extension. And the reason why that's valuable is because you don't need to create that original piece that goes onto your master post if you're not quite ready, but you still mm-hmm. can create original content through video if you don't want to spend the time typing. <laughs> so, so I actually do that a lot where a lot of my comments are actually just a video. So it's just kind of another, another way we use our own, our own technology. But I totally agree with you that it's like baby steps. You start with sub commenting and then commenting and then posting. <laughs> yeah. And you don't necessarily have to do it that way, but that is a great way to start baby getting steps. active in the community and yeah. also reaching out to people like make sure making sure that you are sending people DMS and not selling them and just 
talking about something that they posted. I saw you posted this particular thing that really resonated with me. I'd love to connect with you. I've made so many friends that way. Some people who I consider family, one particular person, she put up a video and it resonated with me so deeply. I sent her a message and I said, I've been watching your videos and this particular video you posted resonated with me so deeply. I felt compelled to reach out to you. And ah. I feel like we need to be friends. Let's get mm. on a call. Like yeah. you, it's, it's sort of like the idea of when you're a little kid, you go up to someone and you say, Hey, I like your shirt. Want to play? Like you're giving someone a compliment and then, then you're asking for them to do something with you, not right. for you. That's awesome. Very cool. Well, this was really, really a good convo, Jamie. I, I really appreciate the time here. Yeah. I, 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 Thank in fact, you so I, much. Thanks yeah. for having me. In fact, I, I really look forward to seeing more of your future content, content and then, of course, I'm going to add my comments. So. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. I'm really excited to see your video comments. That's not something that I've, I've seen. And I think a lot of people, you know, I, I would be happy to talk more about that because, you know, I was in the group of the first video content creators on LinkedIn. Ah. And as far as I know from that group, I haven't seen any yeah. of them doing that. So that's... And this is the first time I'm hearing that's possible. I know that LinkedIn started offering a feature to some people where you mm. can leave videos in via DM, but as far as video in the comments, that's that's a whole new ball game. So I am very excited to learn more about that. I'll drop you one in one of your uh, one of your videos. Awesome! Can't wait. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Bye, bye, Jamie. Bye.